and welcome to Comically Pedantic, where we take a detailed look at the complicated concepts, characters, and history of comic book culture. I'm your host, Derek L. Chase, and joining me on this episode, as always, is the wonderful Corinne Levy. It's me. Uh, so we have the past, I think, couple times we recorded, have had the privilege of hearing our own musical intro. Like, because now we can just hear it. Like, you press play and it's like, it's going through my eardrums. And I think that's very exciting. However, have you noticed, to me, our musical intro in, in the best way, I love it, to preface. Um, you know those, like, um, those country music, like, ABC Family, like, drama shows where it's like, do you know what I'm talking, like, your Nashville Oh, yeah, Nashville yeah, yeah. Drama. Does our... <laughs> Does our intro not sound like it would be like the like the not part of the commercial for like <laughs> tonight on Nashville? <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I like it. I think it's fun. No, but I it's, think it's, it's, fun. it's got I feel that like vibe I gotta put to on it. My, I gotta put on my good denim and like burst through a bar and like punch a person. Look, it I fits. It. I my I come from Same Indiana. I have a Midwestern background, so this is kind of like I guess playing into that a bit. This song reminds me that you're from Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Uh, before before we get too far into this episode, before I talk about some of like the weirdness of this episode, okay, uh, I need to ask what your bright spot is. Remembering you're from Indiana. <laughs> now I. <I'm- laughs> I don't know. I think my bright spot was I got to see um, some friends and some family this weekend. So that was a lot of fun. I took my family to uh, the Mystic Aquarium, which was very fun because I didn't know they had beluga whales there. Oh, shit. I didn't either. I had never seen a beluga whale like in person. Like, I know the baby beluga song and I. Sorry, I'm burping now. Um, this is going to be a problem for the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, oh, but like, you know, you see pictures of them and stuff. And I'm like, yeah, they like belugas are so cool. But like I saw them in person and they are so fascinating. They are like unnaturally, naturally smooth. Just like that- they... They no, look, I know exactly. Yeah. They look like flexible, like marble. It's super bizarre. And they got like the most articulate heads. Like, like, you know, I don't know how better to explain. Like their head shape. It's kind of funky. It, it is very funky. It is, it is that funky in real life. And it's crazy. <laughs> I like. It's so, I feel like this is the equivalent of meeting like a celebrity in person. You're like, oh my God, this is what your face looks like in person. I feel that for the belugas. And (laughs) that was a really great experience for me. That might, that might peak it. Like getting to see, getting to see people. Uh, We have a friend coming to visit tomorrow. We're going to all go see the D&D movie coming out because we're a bunch of freaking nerds. I'm interested in your thoughts on that because to me, I'll let you know. I think it looks like it's a very uh, m- middle of the road movie. 
I, well, I'll let you know my intentions going into the movie. And then the next time we record, I'll let you know if I liked it or not. Um, My intention with this movie is that this is a straight up popcorn movie. Oh, yeah. Going in with my friends. And like, uh, if I have casually played D&D for a decent amount of time, like Mm -hmm. I have done some really long uh I, I don't know if they were like, I'm, I'm not like a critical role person who's like, you know, doing eight hours a session for three years or whatever. Like I, I did, I think we would do like three hours a week for a couple months. And I yeah. did like maybe two campaigns of something like that. Cause like we all decided during COVID to play. And I had a fun time. I would do it again. I've got somebody who wants me to like join their campaign, but I got to figure out if I can actually like squeeze it into my 24 hours a day, seven days a week kind of schedule. We'll see. Yeah. Um, because the clone saga comes first, Derek. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, yeah, I can like, I understand concepts of D and D. I know like lingo. I don't know every spell, but like, I got the gist of it. I've played it enough. I'm sure, like, I'll be like, oh, ha. Right. I get that. I understood that reference. Um, And maybe you'll understand that reference. Reference on reference. Um, But, yeah, I'm excited to see it. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm going to eat popcorn, drink a soda, live, laugh, love. If you have more time afterwards, you guys should have a drink and watch the it was like a 1999 Dungeons and Dragons <gasps> movie. Oh my god, I want to watch it so bad because I'm pretty sure it's like wild. <laughs> I saw it when it came out. It's, I feel like it's straight goofy, and I'm so about that. I it's love as good as it looks. Super goofy. <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that brings me a lot of joy. What's your bright spot? Oh, I you know I have so many actually, because things have been going pretty well on my end. Like I've been incredibly stressed about lots of different things, but very busy, uh, as you know. Um, yes. But along with that, like I've got, I've had a lot of good things happen. Uh, I I bought a so for my store for where I work. I ended up uh, purchasing, you know, those like cricket machines. Oh, <gasps> yes. Oh my gosh. Do you have a cricket machine now? I got the, like the small one, the cricket joy. It's Ooh, like, I didn't um, know it was called the cricket joy, but that brings me joy. It's, it's a tiny thing. It's like, I don't know. It's like maybe uh, like a foot long or like two feet. Like, you know, it's, it's much yeah. shorter than the the big ones. Right. And um, I don't the big know. Big ones are meant to be like, it forever stays on a table. Yeah, but I have to have one that I can like move back and forth, right? right. Like I have stuff that I'm I'm, I'm doing and you got a uh, cricket I, on the go. Right. I purchased it because I was talking to <laughs> we're putting together this like thing at, at at work and I was talking to the person that I put in charge of doing it and the the cricket came up in conversation and she quickly was like talking me into buying it. So I was like, hold on, let me bring it up to Austin. Let yeah. me see what Austin thinks. And Austin was like, absolutely buy it. And <laughs> well, okay. I <laughs> I love Austin. And the reason I love shopping with Austin is because 
she will tell you, like she will be enthusiastic very quickly about the right things to purchase. (laughs) Yes. She was very on board. And part of the reason why is because she wanted a toy to play with. And she has been playing with it. She, I, I don't know if I can, let's see if I can show you. Uh, she made this. Uh, oh! She made the little Starfleet symbol that I, I put that. on the back of my phone. And it's like, I have like a red phone case and it's a gold, like a glittery gold. Uh, That's so fun. Design. So it actually, it looks very. It looks like it looks the like uniform. It's meant, right. It looks like it's meant to be there. That's so cool. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that is my, uh, my bright spot. I love that. It's been that. a lot of fun. That's fun. I, man, I love a cricket. Uh, <laughs> I'm so happy for you. I have, um, <laughs> forever ago. So cricket has a fondant, um. Oh, really? Cutter machine. Yeah. And so like. So fun. it's like, it's a separate machine entirely. It right? is a because separate like, machine, yes. I can't see how that would work <laughs> going back and forth from materials. From- <laughs> From flat paper goods to <laughs> confectionery. <laughs> right. Plato. Um, yeah, so like fun little Corinne backstory, I guess. Uh, the thing that got me into to culinary was uh, cake decorating and like baking. So, so what about like... Uh, well, when oh, I was a kid, like oh, I had okay. to do an extracurricular activity. Like in middle school, it was always like, you have to do something. Um and then eventually when I got to high school, I was like, you had to do something a season or get a job. And I was like, well, I found things to do over your season. So, um, but when I was in middle school, I needed something to do in the winter because I wasn't like doing track or whatever. Right. So I, I guess in like fifth or sixth grade, just watched enough Cake Boss to be motivated to want to decorate cakes because I thought they were really <laughs> neat. <laughs> they are. Um, I mean, they are neat. They're really cool. I loved the Cake Boss as a child. Like, oh my God, the TLC channel had a tight grip on Corinne. <laughs> did you um, ever Did you ever go? To, I did, yeah. I don't remember the name of the, Carlos. Did you ever go to Carlos? Carlos Bakery, yes. And then eventually, like a couple years ago, they built a secondary location like 20 minutes from my home. <laughs> oh, Wow. <laughs> Because it's just like it's another part of Jersey. But um, yes, so I have been there. It's a lot of fun. My favorite thing is the lobster tails. I love the lobster tails. It's like a flaky. Oh, you know what? I think you and I have talked yeah, about Yeah, it's like this. a flaky now- pastry with like a good yeah. like Italian cream in it. It's really good. But um, I wanted to be a cake boss. And I was 11. So we <laughs> went to AC Moore where they would host Wilton cake decorating classes. And so it would be me and then five other, like, 50-year-old women. <laughs> That's so fun. <laughs> and I did, like, every course. I did, I think there were, like, four or five courses. I did the four or five courses. Like, that's just what I did after school. Um, but, yeah, so I was really into it. And I would make, like, family holiday cakes. And I would make cakes for my, like, classroom or whatever. Um and so I guess like for Christmas one year, my parents just got me like this cricket machine that like it cuts fondant letters out or like, you know, fun really patterns. Cool. 
it's really cool. I'm sure I'm, it makes your your job easier. It. I mean, no, because you have to like you have to make the fondant and like well, dye it the right color and stuff with your food coloring, and you also have to definitely make sure that it's rolled out to like the right. <laughs> The right thing, yeah, um, yeah. which I was bad at doing. I was not the best. I was a very okay cake decorator. <laughs> but um, it does seem like you have a very straight line in your life of like Corinne's culinary interests. You yes, know. it's like its own podcast. <laughs> yeah. But that's okay. It's a it's a funky journey that I've been on. Perhaps I will share more stories in time. But maybe we should talk about a different funky journey such as the clone saga. So uh, throughout the last few issues, uh, we saw a huge change in Peter's already tumultuous life. Uh, Shortly after the death of Aunt May, we find that Peter has been arrested for murder and the evidence seems pretty airtight. That's where Ben Riley, Peter's clone and easily the best Spider-Man during this era, steps in and switches places with the wall crawler so that he can both spend time with his pregnant wife and try to clear his own name. That brings us all the way up to Web of Spider-Man 125, where we get a brief one-and-done story to lead us into the Crossfire storyline, which we will be discussing next time. And before we get too far into this, I have something, I don't know how well this is going to go, but I will say uh, we're going to do a drinking game episode because as I got through writing the notes for this, I was like, holy shit. There are so many moments where I'd be like, well, take a shot, take a shot, take a shot. And uh, I am uh, going to, I'm going to be, you don't have to tell them what you're drinking. I'm going to be drinking a sour monkey during this. I've got, I don't even know what I got. I got Gunner's Daughter Milk Stout from Mass Landing Brewing Co. It's good. It's milky. It's a stout. (laughs) Those are two things I like. I love stouts. That's usually what I go for. I just really like these sour monkeys. and. They're pretty high in alcohol content. So as we move through the issue, uh, that's right. We're only going to do the one issue for this episode. The one issue. As we move through the issue, I'm probably going to to hit a little button here and make this noise. And that is going to be the uh, sign for us to uh, take a drink. And I'm going to do that where I feel like things are either brought up that uh, don't make any sense or contradict something that came directly before it. Uh, or it's going to be something uh, that is brought up that is entirely new and is not followed up on in this story or the one that follows it. Because I have read past this. So it's just another one of those instances of like, why are we, why is this here? You know, any, anything that makes me go, why is this here? I'll hit that Okay, button. so we're going to get so, silly over silly stuff. Oh my God, yes. And I, I don't want to tip my hat too much on like how I felt about this issue. Uh, I think you can kind of get an idea. But I, 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 I will say, starting this out, I really liked it. Mm-hmm. And I will not say anything more <laughs> about how I felt until at the end. We're going to go into Web of Spider-Man Volume 1, number 125, uh, which actually has two stories in it. The first one, and like the main story, uh, is titled Lives United, and is written by Terry Cavanaugh, 
penciled by Stephen Butler, inked by Randy Emberlin, colored by Kevin Tensley, and lettered by Steve Dutro and Janice Chang. Other than Janice Chang, this is the same exact team as the previous issue of Web of Spider-Man, which would normally, that would be something I would commend uh, in this comic, but I genuinely thought that the writer had to have been someone new to the series <laughs> based right. on some of the shit we're about to get into. Now, question before you get started. So you said there's two different stories in this issue. Is that kind of like there's an A plot and a B plot? Or is it like with Unlimited Spider-Man where it's more like anthology? It's more like Unlimited Spider-Man. And the way okay. that this, this comic sure. is set up, you have the main story, and then there's the backup story. And the backup story just kind of... So the <laughs> the idea for the backup story, and we'll get, we'll get into it. But the idea okay. for the backup story is that it gives you context to the main story. Oh, okay. So it's like a, a peel behind the curtain after right. we watch the show. Okay, I got it. We're good. So we start the issue with Peter in the Scarlet Spider costume, breaking into the Daily Bugle to check any files they may have on Miles Warren, better known as the Jackal. Now, I'm going to already hit the button. Oh, I was going to say that seems to make sense, but okay. It, it does, except why the fuck is Peter wearing the Scarlet Spider costume? Because um, uh, the 3P3O... <laughs> fuck, I'm already drunk. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, P3PO stole his costume. But, like, he has multiple costumes. Oh, yeah, he has, like, the the black Spider-Man mask, because I'm assuming he got it back after the... Right. So he's got the black costume. He should have a backup regular Spider-Man costume because of how often he gets into fights. I'm gonna, like, I will accept your reasoning. Okay. But I am gonna push back on it a little bit Because I know that they switched before. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on. Okay, now that I'm thinking about it, why would they have switched before? Well, I guess... Right. For the- it makes no... It, it actually brings more suspicion. Oh, wait, suspicion. no. They switched, they switched before so he could get home. What? Oh, no. I, I've i already nodded my brain up. Right. It now makes, I'm, it, it makes I less sense than anything. I was thinking the last anything. episode, I was like, this makes a lot of sense. Like, because... Because, uh, what's his face? Ben. Ben Riley. Oh, no. Okay. It still kind of makes sense in my brain. So, in the end, <laughs> Ben Riley trades clothes with Peter Parker because he's wearing the whole, like, the, the gray prison uniform. Right. And he just has a jacket and the black mask on. Yes. And then, so, so Ben Riley takes the sweatsuit and you can't just have, like, a black Spider-Man mask and a naked man flying through the city. So like he would have to have Ben Riley's uniform. Right. So the thing that I have but a that problem makes with sense here. only for that day. I feel like afterwards, once you're home, you take a shower, you do the laundry. Now I'm I, not sure. <laughs> I do get the impression that this is supposed to happen very soon after that interaction. The whole, switch. like, Kane villain fight on the way home from... Right, and and we'll get into a little, a little bit of why, like, how that ties together. But I still think, like, 
I guess he could he could just be like leaving. A whole thing happened with his wife. And it feels like he should be with her at least, let's go with like an hour. <laughs> yeah, like he's not doing the thing that like they switched purposes for. Right. Like, and the whole point, Ben Riley was like, go home, take care of your wife. She needs you. And like, I the whole excuse for going out and seeing all the, the big bad guys fighting at once was because he was like, well, I got to protect my wife. And if I'm hearing gunshots, then I got to go do that. But like, yeah. you don't have to investigate the jackal right now. Because that's not. Congratulations. We have made it. I'm taking another ding it. (laughs) Ding it for me. Congratulations. We have made it through one page of this comic book and have had to stop and debate the logic behind it. We had to debate (laughs) Spider-Man's laundry cycle. Because to me, it also makes sense for him to want to continue. I mean, I mean, he might not be thinking logically, but it makes sense for him to want to continue wearing the regular Spider-Man costume because then it would... Because if Spider-Man is suddenly just, like, not around... Right. But Peter Parker is in prison. It brings up a lot that you have to kind of, like, square. Not that everyone's And it's like the Daily Bugle's not putting a thing out for this person, mm-hmm. but they always got great shots. hmm And the connection between Peter and Spider-Man... Uh, in the public eye is somewhat important to the backup story. So, like, it is a thing that is acknowledged. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Uh, okay, <laughs> P- sorry. <laughs> Peter, Peter breaks into the Daily Bugle. And he is looking for anything to do with Miles Warren. He scrolls through uh, all of the reports that they have that are about uh, his time at Empire State University and how uh, the death of Gwen State... The, Already had too much drink. And how the death of Gwen Stacy changed him, uh, effectively giving the audience a brief review of Miles Warren's backstory, like just like why he went crazy. Oh, okay. Um, and I, I like that. That's an interesting way of, of, of putting that into the story. And, and I I'm like that. Pre- I think I'm getting used to the whole like comics retelling in some way of like a you know, a backstory or a <laughs> a hint as to what happened. Sometimes it's like a hint to what happened in the previous like issue or whatever. Um, how did this take up a lot of pages? This like no, rehash? no, no. This was a very this. Okay. This was like maybe then like I half say a page. Good job. This was this was good. Uh, okay. we're, we're gonna get a little bit more. Um, but so far we're good. And okay. Peter comes across a report that. Uh, catches his eye, which is about Miles Warren being listed as the owner of a house in New Jersey. And this was all during the time that the jackal would have either been dead or in that like incubation chamber. So like it, it, it stands out as something that's like, oh, this shouldn't be the case. Does the, does the world know, like is, is Miles Warren like an alias for the jet, like, do people know that they're the same? Publicly? I don't know. Oh, I don't okay. like. I'm gonna guess no, but it also 
I like I'm trying to think back to when the jackal was in uh uh Ravencroft and if they refer to him as Professor Warren or anything like that. Uh because if they do, that would indicate that it is public knowledge. Um if they don't, then this story makes a little more sense because it it does get confusing if anyone knows that Miles Warren is the jackal. There might be a ding here or not. <laughs> okay, questionable ding. <laughs> right. The, before Peter can learn anything more, his spider sense goes off, warning him that someone is coming in. Uh, so he, quick, he quickly just leaps out of a window, uh, which is, I guess, his preferred way of exiting a situation. Now, we, the readers, get to see the thoughts of the person who entered the room. Not the person. They're like in shadows. But we mm-hmm. get to see their thoughts. And we learn that it's someone who is in, uh, in the Daily Bugle looking for their uncle. Now, being a huge nerd, I knew exactly who this person was. Oh, okay. But it turns out that this is their first appearance ever. So I'm not going to ruin the surprise of who it is until we see them pop up a few more times. I am going to hit the little button because this is a thing that is brought up, it's hinted at, but then unless you know exactly what's going on, it does not connect to anything else in the series. It's someone looking for their uncle. Correct. That works for the Daily Bugle. Yes. And I I could tell you, but I think, um, I don't know if they play a role in your story or not. Should I make a guess? You can make a guess. Yeah, sure. Oh, no. Wait, I'm realizing now that this is a terrible idea. Because the only people that I know that work at the Daily Bugle are J. Jonah Jameson. <laughs> 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 and that's it. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Ken Ellis, Betty Brandt, uh, the... The one that, oh, oh, I can't remember his name. It's like Yurik or something. Yeah, Ben Yurik. Ben Yurik. Wow, go me. Okay. You pulled that out. Nice. Of my ass. Um, <laughs> oh, the editor. That's like a reasonable decision-making person. Yeah, uh, Robertson. Robertson. Robinson? Rob- uh, hold on. Rob- now I'm going to. Robbie Robinson. <laughs> yeah. I think that's it. I think that's all. Oh, and then like the other guy that sometimes takes photos. I think he's just an intern, though. Oh, uh, I don't remember their name. I do. They I do didn't have a name. name. That was the yeah. thing. I don't think. Um, and then doesn't like Eddie Brock, like the guy who was Venom. Uh, I think at one point he might have sold to, but he used to work for the Daily Globe. Uh. I think. But uh, he's not, he hasn't been around since the very beginning, so it's not going to be him. Um, right. I don't know. Okay, maybe I don't know. <laughs> I guess I just used that opportunity to list all of the Daily Bugle employees that I know. Well, I, I, it's one of those things where I don't think it, it like, I don't think it matters in the grand scheme of things to, to the Clone Saga, whether or not you know. Okay. Uh, but I do know that they, they do make at least one more appearance after this very soon, and I think in your story arc. Oh, okay. And Can't wait that's why it. I didn't know if they reveal anything there. Because if I'm if I'm reading this, if this were a brand new issue that came out and I know nothing about 
the future of Spider-Man comics. I would not know that this person existed, who they are, why they're related to someone who works at the Daily Bugle, or how it connects to the rest of this issue. It's just another punk looking for their uncle. Right. And it's a thing where, like, knowing who that is, I know how this connects to the rest of this issue. But it's never made clear in the actual comic itself. Has the... Has this character, and then now it's just guess who, has this character been in other runs of Spider-Man? This is their absolute first Oh, this appearance. is like their absolute first. So like genuinely, if you read this when it came out, you would be you like- You would have fucking no idea what's going this, on. Who's this person? Okay. Yeah, that's, okay. That's why I put the little ding there. Because this is a thing where like, again, it does connect to the rest of this issue. But also just what a funky reveal. You w- but you still you would not know how it connects based on how this issue is put together. <laughs> okay. So, meanwhile, at Rikers Island, Ben Riley starts thinking about all of the ways that returning to New York has ruined Peter and Mary Jane's lives and how he wasn't able to be there in the moment that Aunt May died. Despite everything, he believes it's best that he's in prison since it was His fingerprints, as he says, that put Peter behind bars in the first place, and Peter has a growing family. This is interesting to me because there have been uh, hints at it being Ben Riley's fingerprints, but this is the first time Ben says it's his fingerprints that got Peter arrested for murder. And I don't know that it's ever, like, been made clear before, you know? I I don't think it has ever been because like I well, also don't think it matches with what comes later. <laughs> gotcha. I just I mean we all know that like the crimes that Peter is being convicted of like we witness them like Kane is the one that we witness do those crimes. Right. So like, we know that it's Kane's fingerprints, but I guess he doesn't know about Kane that much, which is mm-hmm. kind of goofy at this point. Like, you've dealt with him <laughs> enough. You think that they would have some conversation in passing, maybe when they're switching shirts or whatever. Like, oh, by the way, like, I think it could be Kane. But I also think now that it's like, if that's what Ben is saying, that he's like, I guess they're my fingerprints. Like, has just Peter bullied him so much <laughs> to make him <laughs> just be like, yeah, I guess it's not Kane, the person that I witnessed, like, or was soft, I mean, I guess it, at least like, fighting the Grim Hunter. Like, psychologically, you know you it does kind of it, it does kind of make sense for Ben to feel this way because he he is the first person to kind of look at. I am I am the problem. You know, yeah, time and again, that's how he reacts. Blame he does it in the beginning, too. Mm-hmm. So, I Poor think guy. he's he just read that the one or two hate comments and he just mm-hmm. forgot all the little positive parts about him. I mean, this so this scene does nothing really other than to like reintroduce us to Ben Riley and to get a just glimpse kind of how shows you where he's at at the moment and like, yeah, we, I am we still see... thinking the same things, yeah. And I, I mean, I think it's still a nice moment to see how Ben feels about everything and kind of like get a uh, an understanding of of 
essentially, it's not just a a self-sacrifice of I will take Peter's place. It's also a punishment because he feels he deserves it. And it's all like the other thing that I like about this is that is his attitude of like Peter and Mary Jane, not like, oh, I could have been better for her. Like, cause if right. it's that like, oh, I, I should have helped her more then it's, then you get back to the regression of like taking his individuality back. Mm-hmm. And then he starts acting like he's just like a straight up clone again. He'd be like P3PO. It's yeah. the, the, the mentality. So that's like, that. I still like that. Like he, even though is feeling a lot of guilt, still sees himself as an individual. I feel like so far with a lot of the decision-making, like they're still doing taking good care of Ben Riley, I feel like. Yes. Everybody else, though, I have no idea. It depends on the day. <laughs> <laughs> so we cut from Rikers Island all the way to Ridgefield Valley, New Jersey, which seems to be a fictional town. I mean, there's a Ridgefield, New Jersey, but the comic specifically states that this is Ridgefield Valley, which I think is just probably their way of being like, it's basically Ridgefield, but we're just going to come up with the fictional place. Right. Uh, that None of that really matters, though. Uh, the star of this scene is the train that we see Spider-Man riding, which proves and provides our first explanation for how he gets around to locations that are further away than a quick web swing. We actually get to see him do a thing. Oh my God. Wait. Ding. Ding in celebration. <laughs> Yes. He took a train to the Catskills. <laughs> I, I was so I, worried. I, I was like, they walked for like three days. When uh, I got to this page, I was like, holy shit, they explained it. They, they explained uh, how he got to New Jersey. I love that. He takes New Jersey transit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So uh, Peter arrives in the in the town and decides to check out the house that was listed under the jackal's name. He uh, he quickly finds, however, that the roof is electrified when he creates like a web cushion on it. He was like trying to catch himself from falling, mm-hmm. and he notices quickly that the webbing is becoming electri- uh, electrified. So he lands in the backyard and finds a window into the garage. So he like breaks the window open and sneaks in. And when he sneaks in, he discovers a sophisticated lab. And this is another of the like, holy shit moments, just like the train. Because in this scene, Spidey mentions that the lab is way beyond the needs or the means of a university professor, which is one of the first times this comic has stopped to acknowledge how ludicrously expensive all of these fucking secret labs have to be. Ding and celebration. <laughs> We're just going to get drunk in this episode. I'm just going to drink this one beer, I think. Because <laughs> <laughs> then I'll get sleepy. I actually, I never looked at the percentage on this. Stouts put me to sleep. That, ten, that tends Same. to happen to me. Okay, this one's lower than the, one of the ones that I had was like 9%. This one is 5.5, so that's okay. And it's like, a, it's a normal beer. Mine's 9.5. Yeah, okay. Well, <laughs> hey, oh, <Whoop>. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, 
breaking into the kitchen, uh, he then finds a regular suburban house, like just a, a normal house, like outside of the secret lab. It's just a house, which yeah. is pretty fun, pretty exciting because it shows that like, it's, it's like you can have the weird sci-fi stuff, but then you, you still kind of got to, you got to have a place to like live. You also got to have some equity in your life. Right. So Pete comes across a wedding photo of Miles and Gwen. Uh, which is a little interesting. Well, uh, wasn't I thought she was just a student? She was. <gasps> oh my god! Did he just like Photoshop wedding photos of them? <laughs> oh my god! That would be way creepier than oh, what actually happened. So creepy! Oh my god! What if that? This is so. Oh, he's like the guy <laughs> from Love Actually with like the videographer. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. So at that moment, his spider sense goes off and he spins around to find Gwen Stacy. And she's standing there with like a broom ready to hit him. And now, up until this point in the comic, I really didn't have many actual issues with the story. I was actually enjoying the fun and engaging little mystery about like... The train. (laughs) Well, the train. About where the jackal, like how he got this house, what's going on. You know, it seems like it was leading somewhere fun. It's interesting uh, to see like a villain's like off the clock space. Yeah, you know? and it, th- this kind of feels more like a like the start of a Batman story. Okay, you know, like doing a little bit of investigation into like how do I find this person? Let me look at you know. Whereas like you know Spider Man, it's usually I found this person. Let me find their secret lab and then we fight. And where Batman is like, I want to find the person uh, and the motive, so right? So, um, that was kind of where I was with it. I, I really enjoyed it up until this point, but at this, I got a little upset seeing Gwen Stacy. Okay. And it, the reason why is because we've seen clone after clone after clone, and we've seen Gwen Stacy clones in particular not too long ago. We saw so this, one, yeah, like a couple weeks ago. Yeah, so this feels like retreading the same beats from other comics and just like throwing, like, you cannot surprise me with a Gwen Stacy reveal if we've already been introduced to Gwen Stacy clones and if we've been introduced to Gwen Stacy clones relatively recently. Yeah. You can't, like, you know where it's going. Like, I could, I didn't love P3PO because it was pretty drawn out, but it's like, yeah, of course he would have multiple of multiple Spider-Men, you know? Yeah. Because that's who he wants to bother. Or yeah. like, I don't know, clone, clone Peter's wife and really like mind fuck him, you know? Oh, that would, that happened. Like, which well, one's your wife, Peter? Huh? You've been so worried about her knowing who who you are. Have you paid the, attention to your wife enough? In the uh, '90s animated series, they cloned Mary Jane, but it was it was a little different. It was like Mary Jane disappeared into like a portal, and she kind of oh. like she like dies in the same way that Gwen Stacy dies, but she like disappears into like an interdimensional portal right. instead of like falling to her death, uh, and. Uh, 
they later introduce Mary Jane again, and then you find out that she was a clone, and then she dies, and then Peter goes in search of the real Mary Jane. That's actually how that cartoon ends, by the way. It ends with Peter going like on an interdimensional travel to find Mary Jane. That's how the the whole the whole cartoon ends. Oh wow! That's so. I mean, there was something kind of like that that happens. Anyway. Peter quickly pulls off his mask to show his face to Gwen, but she gets visibly upset and tries to hit him with the broom before uh, Miles Warren, in human form, zaps him with a taser. So this again, this is not the jackal. This is Professor Miles Warren. Oh. Right. Wait, that's really confusing. Because I thought he was just genetically mutated. Right. To be funky looking. This is where it, we're, we're getting into some a little bit more of the mystery. Okay. And that I kind of like. So, uh, Miles Warren shows up and he zaps Peter with the, a taser. And then Gwen quickly runs over to him and claims that Peter is the man who has been haunting her in her nightmares. We then cut away from this scene all the way back to New York City, where Mary Jane and the Black Cat are discussing recent events, which includes um, Felicia uh, learning that Peter in prison has actually been Riley. So it kind of like, she comes to the, she was like, oh, that's why he was being so weird. Yes. She realized that, um, like the last issue. Right. She gets confirmation in this, in this conversation with Mary Jane. Okay. That like, yeah, it is a different person. Like she kind of had that like thought, but this is where she, she really solidifies that. It's a cute scene. Um, like I, I, I like it. Do they (laughs) tell you like what? the bad news was? Yes. So, uh, Mary Jane reveals that there might be some complications with her baby relating to Peter's irradiated blood. It's it's one of those, like, there are indicators that there will be a problem. Oh. Not that there is a problem, but that there might be a problem. Gotcha. I thought it was going to be bigger, but... Yeah. So, Felicia... Well, Felicia tells Mary Jane, like, you really don't know this doctor, you probably shouldn't trust him. But Mary Jane says, like, you know, who else is she going to trust? Which, I mean, like, the Fantastic Four. Like, you know, there's like... Do they know them? Yeah. uh, uh, I think at this time, Peter had had already, like... uh, Peter's friends with Johnny Storm of the Fantastic Four. Mr. Fantastic, the doctor, though? Yeah. But I mean, but he's got an in with them, you know? And I think it, I, I'm pretty sure at this point he would have uh, been on a substitute Fantastic Four team. There oh, was a okay. Fantastic Four that was like uh, Wolverine, Spider Man, and like the Hulk, and or, or whatever, you know. Uh, Is he dude? Yeah. Uh, so I mean, there are, but for the for the context of this issue, okay, yeah. So who else are you going to trust? All right, I get it. Um, and. Felicia then realizes that Mary Jane needs Peter, like, just to be with her. So she agrees to try to go find him and bring him back so that they can talk about how stressful everything has become. It's it, like it's a nice scene. It showcases these two women bonding over the insane lives that they have. Yeah. I'm never going to, to hate on having Mary Jane interact with more than just Peter. <laughs> yeah. Girl, I like some see- friends. Right. I like bad. I am I was however- so happy when she remember 
Man, remember when she went to go visit her family? Yeah. Oh, those were the days. <laughs> and now she's like pregnant and alone all the time. That's rough. That is a I rough am, 180. I am going to hit the uh, button just because Felicia does this whole thing about how she's going to go hunt down Peter. And again, I have read this issue and the storyline following it. That's it. That She's gone. <laughs> oh, dang. It's it's such a weird thing to include her and then cut her out. Hope um, she comes back. Yeah, I I genuinely I really like uh Felicia. I think she's a really fun character. She seems cool. I like cats, so. <laughs> back in New Jersey, Peter wakes up uh it, basically like on the kitchen floor and he learns that Miles and Gwen have fled their home. And uh, they've sped away in a car while Warren is assuring Gwen that he didn't kill Peter. Uh, he was just trying to protect her. Like, he's really trying to to calm her down and be like, I promise, like, I'm not a murderer. He does, however, have a gun with him. But he, <laughs> but he's just telling you, like, it's all good. I'm just trying to protect you. Yeah. Warren, like, Professor uh, Warren then flashes back to when his first wife left him because he basically was ignoring her. He like he kind of like was just doing work and like completely uh, let her uh, run everything in the house and was like, I'm I, I'm not giving you a t- the time of day because my work is too important. Yeah. Uh, so she leaves and she takes their kids, their, their two children with her. And you find out later that they died in a car accident. Oh, wow. That really just like they were like no divorce. Yeah, no, they not in these books. Just all death. gone. Uh, so he lives like a very sad, lonely life until he meets Gwen when he is her professor at Empire State University. Oh, so, so it kind of gets like a little even more before. Like at first, I was like, when you said he was ignoring his wife, I was like, is it because he's obsessed with a student, like in a '90s thriller sense, or right. is it? Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I, I think, you know, that gives him some context as to, like, his psychology. I mean, it doesn't make him that any nicer of a it, person. That actually makes it more interesting than the whole, like, Michael Douglas thriller thing of it. Because it's like, he lost people so tragically. And now, when he meets, like, Gwen Stacy, it's almost like he's overcorrecting his past. Yeah. To, like the obsessive level. Yes. Interest. Oh, wow. Hey, good job. Spider writers. <laughs> Again, there's, that was, that's cool. Okay. I don't want to get too far into how I feel about this comic, but there are a lot of things I really like. It, it's just, there's some other stuff we got to get through. Yeah. I get you. So back in the house, Spidey searches for any clues as to what's going on. And he finds documents proving that Miles knows he is a clone and that the Gwen Stacy he is married to is not only a clone, but a clone that had showed up years earlier during the Evolutionary War storyline. I'm going to go ahead and hit the ding and then I will explain what it is we're talking about. Okay. In the the Evolutionary War storyline which happened 
like is it I think like is it directly before the clone saga or is it like a couple runs before it was like four or five years before this okay so it was a while ago it was the 80s it was the 80s and uh in that comic oh boy the high evolutionary do you know who the high evolutionary is Derek, I should start do you think I know who the high of evo- I don't <laughs> <laughs> That, well, he's going to be in Guardians of the Galaxy 3, or at least a version of him will be in Guardians of the Galaxy 3. So you'll see a little bit of him in a movie soon. If I watch uh, it. Yeah, I mean, it looks good. I, I like w- James Gunn. Okay. I think... Okay, we're going to take a moment to talk about this. Because <laughs> <laughs> now I'm feeling ballsy. Um, it looks like... Th- it, it all looks the same. Yeah, I, I would say part- that movie is the only one that I'm kind of like, all right, I'm interested. <laughs> I Man, I don't get it, though. Like, Max said the same thing. Everyone I talk to about, like, that trailer, they're like, I'm interested. And I'm like, why, though? Because I can't, I don't get it. <laughs> I don't get it. I watched the first one. First one was fine. I tried watching the second one. I gave up halfway through. And oh, I really liked the second one. I wanted to because I love Kurt Russell. But man, yeah. I couldn't get into it. And now, like, the Max has come to listen to me. Well, I, just, I heard you ranting, and I, I've deduced that it's about <laughs> Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> He's deduced that it's about Guardians of the Galaxy. But the only thing of note, Max is walking away because he didn't care anymore. <laughs> The only thing of memory. I'm on the podcast now. What's going on? Max is on the podcast. (laughs) Max is on the pod. Max is on the pod. Max is on the pod. (laughs) I love you. Uh, Is there no that rem? Anyway, it's it's fine. Jerry in the trap seat. Ow! (laughs) Um, Guardians of the Galaxy. The only memorable part of that is there's a point for like two seconds where they're all in spacesuits and they just look like the fucking classic astro- Lego astronaut minifigs. Mm-hmm. They do look like that. That's all. That is the only thing of note to me. Everybody else just looks like, oh, we got a job to do. But you like, but does, you like the Suicide Squad. Yeah. And then I'm I really like the Suicide Squad. Yeah. I've seen it. Uh, I have no desire to see it again. Sure. But Maybe like... like I think maybe eight years from now when we're doing like a summer block part like now summer block summer movie night mm-hmm. and we're outside we're all like what do we watch yeah we can watch a superhero movie that's fine that is when I feel like eight years down the line I will rewatch a, a superhero movie mm-hmm. for right now unless it's I, unless it's Batman no but, I, I, I get you uh, as someone who or like you, Tobey Maguire yeah. I'll rewatch him maybe every like four years yeah. as someone who a year ago was like superhero fatigue isn't real the You're batman the batman was cool loved it I, uh spider-man was cool i guess this, Which was, one? this was like a year and a half ago uh no, no way, way no way home yeah and then you liked it a lot more than i did sure i liked it and i was like ah it's toby mcguire but then and I Andrew watched, garfield's a handsome lad but then i then i watched dr strange and i was like i was like oh that didn't live up to expectations i and liked then, the skeletons sure, in dr strange yeah, they're really cool and then i watched I like Thor, the zombie strange that didn't live up to expectations and then i, yeah, I haven't seen ant-man the marvel shows okay. have been kind of hit or miss Yo, for me the ant-man oh what's that 
Madoc is that Modoc? Modoc. Modoc. Yeah. What Fucking George Lopez, Sharkboy, and Lava Girl. I, okay, George so, Lopez in Sharkboy and Lava Girl looked ten times better than that Modoc thing. That thing, mm-hmm. I can't even call it a person. Mm-hmm. That thing looked like um, there was a face app yeah. when like iPhones oh, yeah. and iPod touches had just come out, where it was like you just took a selfie and then you could. Just stretch your face and trim. Yeah, Mario Mario sixty four did that like twenty years ago. Cool. Well, <laughs> I'm not I'm not ancient like you and Derek. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a, I, I'll leave on that one. Yeah. I'm trying to break my back. I love you, best friend. <laughs> He's leaving now. <laughs> oh, I was gonna I was gonna in, include him in this next part. Oh wait, Max, you're getting included. What? Because I have a question. Back. I don't know if there's a way for you. Uh, for him to hear me. Here, I'll or take, I can just, okay. I'll share headphones. Sure, I'll, I'll lean in close to you. Hello. So my question here, well, one, I'm going to, I'm going to point out, I'm going to point out a little bit when it comes to the MODOK thing. Uh, it is, it is played as a, a, a goof in the movie. MODOK entirely as a character is a goof. Mm. And I don't know if you know this, but they also fired the head of their visual effects department. Yes, because the working conditions at Marvel and are awful. seems like maybe Disney in general for special effects people has not been the best. Right. Yeah, I feel like that's been the thing for a while. Moving on from Ant-Man, which is like, I don't know. We, it feels like a Rick and Morty movie with Ant-Man pasted onto it. Mm. Uh, Interesting. But. I just movie. wasn't smart enough to understand the movie then. <laughs> That's what it was. Well, the guy that the guy that wrote it wrote for Rick and Morty. Ah. That was it is and it I to me it was very clear that, that he wrote for Rick and Morty. Uh down to like like silly goofy characters that are silly and goofy mm. because they're like nonsensical and then they are like the the people that you root for. Mm. You know yeah, what I mean? Like a, like Mr. Poopy Butthole. It's like that. Exactly. Uh, See, I'm smart and enough. To, I, to be right fair, here. that my favorite character in the movie was the like the Mr. Poopy Butthole character in the oh, movie. Okay. And Austin's too. And we both left the movie going like, that was fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, didn't care. Um, now, I have a question based on Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Max, mm-hmm. do you know who the High Evolutionary is? Um, all I know, and I don't know if it's a spoiler, it's like kind of in the trailer. Um, I know he does like weird science experiments on creatures. I have mm-hmm. gathered from the trailer that he is probably the guy who made Rocket. Mm-hmm. Um, he maybe also, there There was an otter at one point in the trailer oh, yeah, too. Yeah. I assume he made the otter as well. Don't know if he made... It's not crypto the space dog. I'm 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 blending two characters. Cosmo. Cosmo. Crypto is Superman's dog. I do know that. Yeah, good show as a as a kid. Well, it's also because um so do you know who uh do you know Star Kid Productions? Uh Derek, you got to watch Holy Musical Batman. <laughs> I don't. I oh, that sounds good. Talk about crypto, <laughs> uh, but no, I, I really do not know much about the the high evolutionary. I was curious. So the reason I I was curious about it was because uh, Corinne was saying what is standing out that are getting people excited. I, for me, I know the high evolutionary, and I was like, 
this seems like it'll be an interesting story. Mm. Oh, okay. No, for for me, it's mostly the fact that, uh, again, you know, I'm definitely experiencing a little bit of that superhero fatigue, but I like James Gunn as a director. So Mm -hmm. is that what's getting you excited about it? I think that is definitely part of it. I think that the Guardians of the Galaxy, like, franchise, if you want to call it that, uh, I think has probably had the most consistent showings in my mind. I really like the Captain America trilogy. I know you don't. You have a few. You have opinions about black SUVs driving in a line. We don't got to get into it. Um, Excuse me. This is. <laughs> I am the co-host of this podcast. <laughs> but but I'm just saying. We, I like, I, we can get into it because again, I listen to the podcast and I know you've gotten into it before. <laughs> We're about to like kick Derek off and just have a fight on the internet. <laughs> Uh, anyway, I, <laughs> I no, I, I just I like the um, I like his visual style. I feel like he puts a yes. lot of care into the movies that he makes. I feel like those characters have had the most consistent like showing and through line. Um, you didn't watch the holiday special, but I thought like the holiday special was delightful. Um, there was like there was a, some fun musical numbers in there. I saw the part where Kevin like, Bacon the, did a song. I saw the part where like Mantis is like, "I'm your sister." Yeah, and then he's like, "Oh, that's a great gift." I thought that was cute. Yeah, that's, I'm just saying, me, like, the, to me, like, and I know everyone's over Chris Pratt at this point, but like, um, I, I I like him in that role. I think like Dave Bautista's having fun. Uh, so it's mostly like it's it's the the ethos. What a, the credibility that Guardians of the Galaxy has built. Yes, and I think a I, brand. I think and that that franchise is fine. And my you. my final thought on this, and then I will let you guys get back to the podcast that you work very hard on, is that much like <laughs> how we were talking about before with Rocky, where it doesn't matter what's going on in the movie when that theme song starts playing, I'm like, let's go, Rocco, you know. Um, so it, it so. It, when James Gunn does his stupid little record needle drops, it doesn't matter. I'm like, I I pretty much always start losing it at the end of Guardians of the Galaxy two when they have the the, the funeral for for Yondu, and it's they're Yondu. playing the blue guy, and they're playing fucking Cat Stevens. Oh, is Yondu uh, the one that with has the, the fin? Mohawk? Yeah, uh, I think they play Cat Stevens at the end of that. But like, it's sad, right? And. I feel more sad because of the music and I know James Gunn does it in every movie that yeah. he's made in the last like 10, 15 years. Doesn't matter. It gets me. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I get the feeling some of those characters are going to die. I'm probably, I'm, I might cry a little. Okay. Yeah. That's okay. Mm-hmm. I still love you. I love you too. Best friend. Best friend. All right. All right. I'll stop interrupting. I feel like I'm featuring... <laughs> Gradually more and more every week here. What are you talking about? Yeah, every time I'll just pop my head in. <laughs> so the high evolutionary is basically Dr. Moreau. He like makes crazy animal stuff. Yes. How does that connect to Gwen Stacy? Okay. So <laughs> hold on. I'm bringing it back. Sorry. The high evolutionary is essentially a mad scientist that is uh, Dr. Moreau-ish. He, you know, mixes and matches stuff. He's crazy. And uh, he also doesn't like, uh, he thinks that like humanity is not moving fast enough. So he's going to like push, he pushes the boundaries of everything. 
does not give a shit of where it's going. Now, in that old comic book, the High Evolutionary comes across this Gwen Stacy clone. And he claims that she is actually a woman named Joyce Delaney who was transformed using a genetic virus to look like Gwen Stacy. Right. And then, okay. I remember hearing about the virus thing before. Right. Okay. And it's it's a weird thing because it, it contradicts everything in the clone saga. <laughs> you, yeah. you essentially, you cannot have that explanation and also have the clone saga. Yeah, because now you've validated what happened before this whole run. Right. Which is totally different from this whole run. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, now in that old comic book, a woman named Daydreamer who is essentially a god. There, it's way too complicated to get into. Sure. Uh, she uses her powers to remove any of the memories of Gwen Stacy from this clone's mind, which is, allows her to live as Joyce Delaney again. So basically it's like, I am freeing you of Gwen Stacy. You are now Joyce Delaney. Just with Gwen Stacy's face. Right. Okay. Now that was the last we saw of that woman before this issue where she shows up living as uh, uh, Gwen Warren. Okay. So, or Gwen Miles? I, I wrote Gwen Miles, Miles but that doesn't Miles Warren. Gwen Warren. Yeah. Let me, Miles Warren clone. I think, because I'm just curious if they change their name, because then that would also take away something that I complain about later. Um, give me just a second. I just want to make sure. Yeah, that's fine. I'm not being pedantic about something that's dumb. Okay. No, I was right. Uh, I'd, so she, she shows up living as, uh, Gwen Miles and, and that kind of like, so one of the things that I was going to complain about really is, uh, and I'm still going to count it when we get to it. Okay. But the names are dumb. That yes. like, if, if you're hiding, you you need to change your names. And if, like, it would be as if uh, I decided to go as Chase Derek instead of Derek Chase. Yeah. Like, it, you're not hiding. No. Um, it, it doesn't make sense. Um, now, what I think is even more interesting, so keep in mind, she is freed. She's living as Joyce Delaney. And then you'd never see her again. And then she shows up here married to uh, Miles Warren. Yeah. What is even more interesting in all of that is that this comic acknowledges that Gwen can't be that different person for any of this to make sense. So she has you to just be Gwen. Have... She can't be Joyce. Right. So you just have to assume that all of that was a lie. But they do it with like a fuckload of mistakes. So get ready for some dings. Okay. Daydreamer is misidentified as Dreamweaver. Spider-Man claims he knows Gwen was once using the name Joyce Delaney, even though it is a major part of that previous story that he never learned her real name. That's a thing that he says at the end of that comic book. He wanted to know who this person was, and all he knew was that she was Gwen Stacy. 
And as I pointed out just a little bit ago, if they both know that they are clones or, well, I guess she doesn't really because we do find out a little bit more about her. But if he knows that he is a clone. If Miles knows. If, yes. Okay. Why the fuck would he still be living under a name at least somewhat similar? And why would she be living as Gwen, especially since the last time we saw her, she was going by Joyce. So you see, this gets very confusing. I guess half a ding for that would be taken back if we figure out whether or not the whole Miles Warren Jackal together is public knowledge or not. Yes. And also, I will say, I'll I'll take a little bit of of the ding back, I guess. There is some explanation about why she's going as Gwen. um, But it's complicated because none of it really makes that much sense. We'll we'll get into it. Okay. So we then learn that Spider-Man had placed a tracer on their car before he had entered the house, even though we don't really see that. That's fine. And he decides to go after them. The interesting thing about this is that Peter realizes that they didn't break any uh, laws or do anything wrong. Like, he just decides, I can't let them get away. Which, I mean... It's, I guess, him acknowledging the fact that is he's he going, going after out, them for no reason. Yeah, is he going out with the intent of getting more information, or is he trying to pick a fight? Because, I mean, he very clearly was trying to find Miles Warren. Right, and I think and I think at this more. point the implication is that he's going for more information. Okay, but it's it's weird because like I was like why is he why does he give a shit if he knows they're clones and they're just living a regular suburban life oh yeah wait if you now know that you're oh no but does he know that they're clones he knows because he finds the documentation that says who they are right uh, it's like in a he, it's like in a safe or something at the house yeah but when slash Joyce slash non-Joyce is not privy to that information, but the Miles one is because it's like his safe or something. Right. Oh, okay. We got that. Now, we got that. at the same time as all of this is happening, we learn that a Green Goblin has just taken a glider out into New Jersey to look for action. I'm going to hit a ding because... We are given no context as to who this goblin is, where they came from, or anything. Like the He's other just characters, a goblin. the other characters that we know who have been goblins, uh, specifically Green Goblins, uh, which are Norman and Harry Osborn, have both died. So there's just this random other goblin that shows up, and that's not crazy. And it's not the Hobgoblin. Nope, it's the Green Goblin. It is specifically the Green Goblin. Oh, okay. and. Uh, he's got a slightly different costume, but it's pretty clearly the Green Goblin. It's very clearly not the Hobgoblin. Right. And the, Sorry, the, I, I would say it doesn't matter so much because it is like an introduction of this new Goblin so that you don't have to explain all of that. But we I feel also, like we have enough on our plate, though, don't we? We, we have a lot going on. Uh, and we don't know, like, why is this Goblin showing up in New Jersey? And not New York. Because, like, he he sees Spider-Man and decides to follow him. So he has to be in New Jersey. And uh, 
It's not like knowing, I'm going to continue to follow him from right the first train station. It's it is it is a weird thing to like have. I, I'm fine with the goblin showing up. That's fine. Yeah, it's just why is he there though? <laughs> it's why is he specifically at this location is what bothers me. Yeah, you know, introducing a, a mysterious new goblin. Sure, you go for it. That's fine. Putting him in this exact spot is very convenient to the story. Like, I feel like they should have put him, like, maybe, like, as a little, like, little background, like, Easter egg in the beginning when he's doing the, like, the reporter investigation stuff. Yes. The Daily Beagle stuff. Like, you know, maybe he's, like, gliding out the window as Peter's um, or as Spider-Man's jumping out and then like you see him a little closer behind the train and then oh my gosh he's there and he's like what's Spider-Man doing I'm not a writer though it's also like <laughs> this so this is going to end up happening there's going to be an event on a bridge oh my god wait a minute we haven't even hit like the second story we're we're almost there. Oh, okay. The second story is like a paragraph long. Okay. I can sum it up very quickly. Okay. So <laughs> there is going to be an event that happens in a minute on a bridge. And the, the thing is, you could literally just have the goblin show up there. Yeah. Okay. Having him follow Spider-Man is the thing that I have a problem with. It makes no sense. Yeah. So, Unless we're about to somehow learn that like... Miles and this Green Goblin are neighbors. But oh, that would be interesting. And uh, also a bit convenient to have two supervillains living right next door to each other. But they don't know. Well, technically... Oh, that would be a fun sitcom. Oh, that would be great. I hope Willem Dafoe's in that sitcom. So, uh, Professor uh, Warren makes his way to what is clearly drawn to be the Brooklyn Bridge. Okay. But it's labeled the George Washington Bridge. Uh, And... Now that makes some sense. We I'll I'll explain why that makes sense later. It's kind of funny. Um, but we see Spider-Man uh behind him and Professor Warren sees him and that causes him to freak out and it causes a big accident. Spidey swings in to help the other drivers on the bridge, but Warren crashes and the green goblin then swoops in to pull Gwen from the car. The goblin takes her to the top of the bridge, which is very reminiscent of how Gwen died originally, and promises, your husband is next. Seeing this happen, Spidey leaps to try to save Gwen, and Warren pulls out the gun from earlier and starts shooting at both of them. Oh, okay. (laughs) You have Gwen Stacy on top of the bridge, which again is very similar to her, like how she died. Yes. You have the Green Goblin floating around, Spider-Man trying to stop him, and then Warren just fucking firing bullets into the air. Okay. Trying to dodge all these bullets, Gwen ends up falling off of the bridge because of course, that's what, if you're a Gwen Stacy, that's that's what you do. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Unfortunately. So Spider-Man is able to swing down and save her this time, which is cute. But unfortunately... Uh, Warren's car plummets from the bridge and lands in the water. So Peter has to jump down to save him. Okay. When he hits the water, he finds him. He pulls him back up, but he finds that uh, Warren has already started degenerating. He's just coming up as goop as he's pulling him out of the water. Oh. 
which is kind of sad. Um, we later, so that's kind of the end of this conflict. You lit, there is no follow up to what happens after this, where you're led to assume the Green Goblin just fucking leaves because the next time you see him, he's returning to his home, and he like takes off his mask. You don't see his face, um, but he's you see his like what he's thinking, and he just keeps thinking about how he was actually trying to save Gwen and Warren when he said your husband is next. He was saying, I'm going to pull him out and save him. But he was obviously not very good at that. Like, oh. he failed miserably. So this is a heroic Green Goblin that we have. And it's it's underlined in probably the most, like, crazy specific way for a Spider-Man comic, where he starts thinking about, there are two things he needs to learn more about. Power and responsibility. Ah, uh, so it's probably going to be another Peter Parker. Clone. I don't want to build this mystery up too much. Don't don't get too hung up on who he is because I, if you don't have a reveal of who he is in your story, it's I'll Uncle just tell ben. you. Who he is. <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting. Yo, that would be wild. <laughs> so uh, we then cut back to uh, Gwen. Um, at the bridge, the the maybe George Washington, maybe Brooklyn Bridge. Mm-hmm. And she's looking down into the water and like all of her memories like come out. Like she she realizes that she is not Joyce. She is not Gwen Stacy. She's a clone. And now she's alone. Like she is just. She's a clone of Gwen Stacy now right. alone. Okay. So that's how that story ends. You get like, there is no follow-up to Felicia going after Peter. There's no follow-up to that mystery person in the Daily Bugle. There is no follow-up to why the fuck... I mean, you don't really need the Green Goblin's follow-up. That's kind of no even real follow... Like, just check-in on Mary Jane. And I feel like with the last... Like, I don't know. I mean, there's the the tease of there is something wrong, but that's it. Yeah, I just, I don't know. I guess I expected more, but they really, like, dropped her. Oh, and just wait, because the next story uh, story arc that we're going to go over, it it is a, it, we do not get much more of a follow-up. <laughs> Oof, great. Um, Love that. So that, that is this story, and the ending really felt rushed. It, it, like, Warren hits the water, Peter grabs him, he's goop cut immediately to the goblin already home and then cut immediately back to Gwen Stacy. Yeah. And yet we had all this insane, like long winded 20 bajillion other things happen. That was, that felt weirdly paced. It was very oddly paced. I, it, it might've been good as like a two part story. Um, because like the first part of this, even though it's wonky and there's a lot to nitpick, I liked the pacing and sort of the fun mystery nature of it. And then it just went off the fucking walls. But right. I think I think the story itself is fine. It's just yeah. weirdly put together. I think I liked parts more than I liked the whole. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. absolutely. Okay. Now, this brings us all the way up to the backup story, which is titled Shining Armor. And... It is written by Terry Cavanaugh and Mike uh, Lackey, I think. 
penciled by Todd Smith, inked by Jimmy Palmiotti, colored by Nell Yumtov, and lettered by Loretta Kroll. And this will be a very quick backup story. Okay. <laughs> we start the backup story in the past with the Gwen clone distraught and pouring through a book titled Webs, Spider-Man in Action, which has a bunch of pictures of Spider-Man taken by Peter Parker. It's like just a photography book. Okay. And um, this is supposed to take place pretty soon after the Evolutionary War story arc. So like two or three years in the in the, uh, in the comic book world. Right. Yeah. And she is in the Stacy's family cabin in upstate New York. She's been hidden away when she couldn't really figure out who she was. Her memories have been just jumbled ever since the incident with the daydreamer. And when she was going through this book, it brought back all of the, the Gwen memories to the forefront of her mind. And it like just short, short circuit her brain. She was like crying uh, like, just incredibly distraught. Yeah. And just then, the Miles Warren clone enters and finds her on the floor. And through narrative captions, we learn that the original Miles Warren had planned for his clone and Gwen's clone to live the life that he and the real Gwen Stacy couldn't. He was like, I'm going to give them the life that I can't have. Right. Which is kind of sweet in a weird way. In yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Warren picks Gwen up and he takes her to bed before tossing the, the book that she was looking through. He tosses it into the fireplace and then he like nurses her back to health. And over the following few days, she starts to uh, get better. Her memories start to go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, she starts to fall in love with Miles and then the two quickly get married. Uh. As the two leave the church, the priest the witness, and the photographer all degenerate behind them, proving that they're all part of the Jackal's plan, which makes no sense. There is no way to plan for Daydreamer messing up Gwen Stacy's, or the clone of Gwen Stacy's memories. Right. There's no way to plan for... Uh, the two of them randomly running into each other. This is like the thing that they keep coming back to in the Clone Saga uh, uh, version of cloning is that he like programs them to do things at certain times, which is insane. That like that, <laughs> I don't know yeah. how like, that then cloning. becomes almost like a cyborg situation. I feel like because like you'd have to be some form of like I feel like some level of robot to have a programmed timer in you. Yeah, so I'm going to uh, ding that because, like, I mean, what the fuck? There's no way for this to work without the Jackal being, like, omnipotent. It also, like, it turns the whole, like, I just, you know, wanted to, I don't know. It turns something that could have been, like, sweet into something just like, oh, this is just mad gross, you know? Yes, I think with the the way that the story was written, I think the idea was, oh, we have to tell the story of how this Gwen Stacy and this Miles Warren got together. And right. that could have been a fine story on its own. Uh, the I, But the writer got ahead of himself and decided that it had to, like, there to be this, like, hook 
like twist ending in order for it to like catch the reader's attention. And to me, it makes the whole thing fall apart. Like if it was separate, if it didn't have to be tied to this like whole saga, I think that whole, the general concept of basically like woman in crisis being tricked into a relationship that she realizes not it that yeah. in and of itself great thriller you know yeah. and like maybe then it's her getting out of it and like or being liberated of it that's what i would want from like a story like that like a thriller like that and like maybe she uncovers like the the information that like miles has been keeping from her like but there's no way they're not going to touch more on it. Like, no, it's very and clearly a background story and they've already killed off miles. And this and is, it also, it just makes it even more confusing. Like, okay. So then why would the green goblin character really want to save them? So, uh, maybe because I can't answer. I guess so the green, go- know, the green goblin, it's because he has no idea who they are. It's okay. just, he wants to be a hero. He just thinks that, like, these people were running away from a person in a mask, doesn't understand who Spider-Man is, and then... Well, I think it was he tried to save them from because they crashed, and he was trying to save them after the crash. And I think that kind of works, but it's very convenient for the story, but I can overlook that for the thematic. following Spider-Man before. That's the... the, the, Cut that part out, and it works. (laughs) It's convenient. Like, like, if they're trying to make it, like... Yeah. Oh, this is... I don't know if it's, like, just because... I'm a... I had one beer. Like, I'm just sleepy. I know that I'm... That it hasn't made me stupid. You know? Like... (laughs) Yeah, no. I... The... There's so much. Keep keep in mind, this was one issue that we went over. And I had to stop, I don't know how many times to explain, not like the the, the main question it. Yeah. Well, the like what was going on, like why make these decisions, but then also to go back and be like, okay, this is what they are referencing. This is the like, we have to give you history. And I understand why. Because for me, I wouldn't have noticed anything. But because I'm learning this with you, I now have to share this pain. <laughs> it is uh so they do weird. they they stop in the comic book to give you some of this backstory, but they get the backstory wrong when they do it. Uh like, Oh my god, they're trying to gaslight us. <gasps> it it is like the getting uh Daydreamer's name wrong is like that's fine i guess that is whatever like it's a she is a a very minor character right. uh and uh having the 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 introduction of this clone again and trying to smooth away some of that stuff like that's fine i guess um cuz you do have to address it you can't just have the storyline existing that contradicts the story that you're telling and Unless not at least, you just make it clear that the story you're writing is not canonical. 
or just, yeah, like somehow find a way to write that other one out of context. The way that Marvel tends to handle these things is that unless it is specifically stated to not be in continuity, everything is. And then you have to go and retcon it in some way. Yeah, and I don't like that. I don't... I think I would rather... You like the Grant Morrison sort of approach. I do. I just... <laughs> everything is and everything's I not. Like, I like... <laughs> But I also like that it's very clear when it's like, okay, what I'm reading right now, I just have to focus on what I'm reading. And then if I wish to continue in this universe, there will be a title similar to that, that like will hint at these things are canonical. Um, And I can go to, and I can read another, I don't know, Green Lantern or whatever. Yeah. And that, will be different and I don't have to worry about what I just read. I'll come back to it differently because it's a different thing, the different story. And I can accept that. And, but when you make me constantly worry, if it's canonical is what pisses me off sometimes. Well, the thing with the thing with Marvel is one. Well, and I think that's why I don't like the, the movies either. If we're if we are somehow gonna add the rant of my Guardians of the Galaxy, or if we're I'll probably leave part of that in, yeah. Or we could just <laughs> make it separate, whatever you want. Mm-hmm. But like it, it is all so aesthetically samey, and that's its own thing. But it's also just like you feel like you have to see all of it. You have to put in all of the hours. To understand like the little bits and boops and bobs. And like yeah. sometimes it's like sometimes I just want to sit and watch a movie and then never think about it again. Like I want a one and done. I don't need a franchise. And if it's gonna be like just make it a little one, you know, maybe like a little I actually like, that, that I don't, brings something up. Um I don't need the whole like I don't need the whole universe in my face. I just want a good story, you know? Yeah. I mean, if you, there, like, that's one of the things that I like about some of the, some of the standout stories that you get from Marvel or DC are because they are generally uh, standalone or as close to stand, like, you can, uh, you can read it and there might be references to other things, but it doesn't matter. It, yeah. you, you're good. And Marvel can sometimes do that, but because they have like way more, well, I would say DC has like a very complicated history, but part of their complicated history is that they mostly just kind of go, fuck it, we're back to normal and we'll figure out how we did that later. Or like what's, <laughs> what matters and what doesn't. Yeah. Um, With Marvel, it all matters. It all happened. And I think that is an interesting way of approaching it, but it does, if you sit down and you made a list of like the most important or interesting runs in Marvel and and in DC, you could almost always pick up a DC comic book and just go with it. Yep. And if you pick up like the important runs from Marvel or the fun runs from Marvel, you might be able to do that, but you will also be confused because there are plenty of callbacks. Like, 
I well, love. Well, like when I so one of the first thing, one of the first comics I read, even before Saga, was mm-hmm. uh, Scarlet Witch and Vision. It was twelve issues. Yeah, I got it all in one bundle, and that was like a finite thing. And I was mm-hmm. like, "This is good. It's a care." Like I've always wanted to read about the Scarlet Witch because I was like, "It's a cool female character." Love that. And and again, it was one through twelve. It had a beginning and an end, and I was like, "This is perfect." Because like getting into comics can be very like overwhelming and a lot and intimidating. So, but even in that, a one through twelve. <laughs> There were like callbacks and like yeah. you know from blah blah blah, and I'm like I I don't know what these books are, and like I didn't know any of this shit. I don't know. I just work here. Like I am, a, <laughs> I am a continuity like fan. I love the complicated nature of it all, but it does weigh things down. I I like it when I'm prepared for it. Yeah, like. And I like it to a certain degree. Like, I do think at some level it's cool that it's like, oh, like, you, you know what, um, you know what Captain America's doing while Iron Man's doing this or whatever. Or, you know, you -hmm. know, like, that's cool. And it does make it like, yeah, this is like a world here. But I, uh, it's like the forcing me to to buy it and read it I can I feel like I can just see that it's like I very quickly start to feel less like what a cool world building to like you just want me to buy things well the and And you we are in the middle of the worst era of that uh I mean I mean just the clone saga in general it is an ongoing storyline that is being published across four different Spider-Man titles. Yes. That you have to buy every single one of them to understand. And every so often there is a fifth one that sometimes matters. And <laughs> it is it is bonkers. I do think that like this is the worst era for what you don't like. And <laughs> For what I don't favor, for sure. Um, and, but it, it is a very, like, it is a thing. Like, I I am a huge fan of uh, the Immortal Hulk. And I, I it came out, it was like a 50-issue series. Wonderfully done. Yeah. Um, I, it, early on, it was creepy. It, it's a horror book starring the Hulk. Yeah. And, and the horror is that he can't die. It is really good. Uh, okay. And early on, it, you just focus on little bits of things about the Hulk. And then occasionally they'll bring in something that's from like the 50 odd years of that character and they kind of recontextualize it. But they usually do a really good job of like explaining what that is and like giving you the history so that you don't have to look that up. Right. The Where it got... It got hard to read for me. I mean, I still really enjoyed it, but where it got hard to read for me is where it started relying a lot on the history of that character. And I happened to know some of this stuff. And it, but it still was kind of like, okay, I I don't need like I don't want to have to like refresh my my memory on 
Joe Fix It or yeah. uh, or or the uh, oh, what's his name? The like the Sasquatch or anything like that. Like that's I don't like just give me the info I need and we're we're good. Yeah. And they they do do that. I mean, you can read it that way, but it did start to weigh the story down a bit. Right. And I I it's not going to get any better. <laughs> yeah. So what I, I'm going to do, do like what's good, what worked for this. Um, mm-hmm. I really liked the Green Goblin design. I it, It's it's funky. It's new. Um, it's very 90s, but it's 90s in a fun way that I really like. Okay. He's like not wearing, uh, I don't, do you know the, the classic well, Goblin The classic cost- one is green and purple. Yeah, he's it? got like a purple outfit on. And like, yeah. And in this, he's got like a purple tattered, uh, tattered sort of like cape, and he, but he's like got a muscular Green Goblin chest, and it's like it is so oh, wildly nineties, yeah, yeah. but it's fun. I like it. Okay. Uh, uh, I think Peter feels like Peter in this story, and Ben feels like Ben, and uh, like all the characters that are in this are good. Yeah, I like it that we don't. I like that we get a break from Peter Parker clones. I I do too. And, because but like, that I is- feel like in all of our hearts, we know how a Peter Parker should behave. Mm-hmm. And we like Ben Riley. Yeah. Ben Riley. You're done after that. <laughs> no notes. Like, no notes. Because he's just doing his thing and I'm happy about it. And Peter Parker, I like that he has, like, you know, gotten out of the bird poison phase. And he seems back to, like, his general self looking out for his wife. I mean, kind he cool. does kind of ignore well, he's his kind wife. Of li- yeah. But, like, there, like, he jumps into the water to save uh, what is essentially, uh, like, his arch nemesis at this yeah. point. Like, he wants to save people. He wants to help people. And he's trying. He's just trying. So that's right. Good. And uh, in terms of like the like the rest of the stuff in the story, like I still really like Mary Jane. I like seeing her with Felicia. She's in one page of the, or like maybe two of this I entire comic more book. More of them. It, I the two of at them least talking. More I thought of was Mary good. Jane. There is a scene where Felicia puts her hand on Mary Jane's belly. As she's talking to her. And I think that is adorable. And I wanted more of that. Like The, the other it, weird thing, now that I'm thinking about it, is like, I feel like we've totally shifted again. Like, because at least for the past, like, while, there's always at least been Kane sitting and watching. Yeah. There's no Kane. That's true. And uh, I'm... Maybe that maybe that adds to something that I liked about this because I as much as this was like an infuriating read toward the end, but it was only really infuriating when I stopped to question things. The actual story itself is fine. Like it's okay, you know? Yeah. Uh what didn't really work in this was uh well, one, the entire backup story. I I think stop it at they got married, you're done, you're fine. I liked it. Separate to this. Yeah. I would have wanted it as its own thing with more detail. I think 
I want it. I think I want that background story to be a different thing. I agree. Because I like the concept of it. Again, I like it as a thriller. Mm -hmm. But that's not what it is. So. Well, the way that I kept looking at it was like, if we had that um, character focused origin story for Ben Riley in the backup stories, that was, that's what this could have been. And I loved yeah. that was my favorite thing that we've read. Yeah. Uh, so and and so this feels like a half thought through story that should have been a short story and like a backup of creepy or uh like some sort of a horror uh uh comic book. Right. And the rest of like the story, I mean we've we've kind of nitpicked it already in terms of uh what didn't work. Yeah, what didn't work was, like, a lot of the inconsistencies and questionable details that just kind of drive us insane at this point. Yes. Now, we're going to get into some trivia. Again, I'm going to quote from Life of Riley with editor Glenn Greenberg commenting on uh, this particular story. And I, I the first part he gets into, he, he says, quote, This was an attempt to finally explain away all of the stuff established in the Evolutionary War, but it probably could have been done better. And I really didn't like finding out that uh, the Gwen Stacy clone had set up housekeeping with the clone of Miles Warren in the suburbs. So that part, I thought, I I don't know what he's referring to because I went back to the story and I was like, what housekeeping is he talking about? Maybe it's something I missed. I think he just means that they're married and that, like, they're keeping house together. I think that's all that. It's just a weird phrase. Since uh, he goes on further to say, since I had no role in the development of this particular story, uh, Eric Fine was the editor and I was still Tom Bravart's assistant. My involvement was limited to that of an observer. And I don't think I even knew what was happening in Web of Spider-Man 125 until I saw it in print. Returning to the bridge where Gwen died had become an established Spider-Man cliche by that point and an overused one at that. And I'm I'm going to cut in not just that, but the introducing a Gwen clone, introducing like the the shock reveal of this like it's been done in comic books that came a month or two before this. Yeah. So, I'm done with that. But back to what Glenn Greenberg said. To this day, whenever a Spider-Man writer tries for dramatic irony uh, or poignancy, it usually involves Spider-Man being at that bridge. I was guilty of using this cliche myself in the very first professional Spider-Man story I ever wrote. It was in the 1995 Spider-Man holiday special, which we'll presumably get to in a few weeks. But it's now about six years later uh, at the time of writing that. And I've seen this scene played again out a number of times since then. So all I can say is enough with the bridge already. Move on. Yeah. Boy, do I agree. Well, I think they were on the bridge earlier in this series. Yeah, probably. Ben Riley goes on the bridge. Incidentally, it's still unclear, and this is, I brought this up earlier. It's still unclear exactly which bridge was the site of Gwen's death. In the original story told in Amazing Spider-Man 121, it was drawn as the Brooklyn Bridge. But writer Jerry Conway referred to it in the script as the George Washington Bridge. 
Spider-Man even comments that it's appropriate that Norman Osborn would go to a bridge named after his favorite president and that Osborn has the same sort of hang-up about dollar bills. In later reprints of the story, the dialogue is changed so that the bridge is identified as the Brooklyn Bridge and Spider-Man's comment about Norman's love of money is deleted. However, plenty of other stories were still being done in which the bridge was referred to as the George Washington Bridge, which only added to the confusion. To deal with this, Whenever Tom Bravor and I worked on a story that referred back to the events of Amazing uh, 121, our approach was to simply not refer to the bridge by a specific name. That's how we had writer Kurt Busiek deal with with it in the Legacy of Evil one-shot and how I dealt with it when I wrote the Osborne Journal. And that's why in this comic, it's drawn clearly as the Brooklyn Bridge. Right. Like, if you've ever been on the Brooklyn Bridge, it's very noticeable. Yes. You and, do know it's that bridge. Yes. And it's con- it continues to be called the George Washington Bridge. That's why. Because in the original comic, it is drawn as the Brooklyn Bridge and called the George Washington Bridge. Right. And so they just, I like that. That's just a thing that they keep doing. I love that they can't decide on a bridge. I just think it's great. Flip a I, coin. <laughs> I, I, the idea of having a mistake continue is fun to me. It's it's sort of like I think that one's a f- I think that one's a fun bit. I like it. I don't I, mind I, it. That that one I really like. I I'm fine with. It's kind of like a if you tune into. I mean, I guess with us like P three PO, like it's it's sort of like an inside joke that just keeps going. Yeah, <laughs> I like it as long as like you know. I think that's a good fun bit. It's not like it's really confusing every anybody. Like and if you if you don't let live you know here, if they want you to believe it's the the bridge that Gwen Stacy died on, you know, you're right? Yeah, yeah. They'll let you know. Uh, but that brings us uh, to the end of this. Uh, uh, I forget. I forget even what issue we read. One twenty-five. Web of Spider-Man. One twenty-five. I'm freaking on it. <laughs> and uh, the next storyline that we do is called Crossfire for no reason. Uh, It literally has nothing to do with the story. It's just a weird name. Uh, But we we will get into that next time. Love it. Um, It also really has nothing to do with this. It's just, there was, this was kind of like the breather between like big event and like, not really big event, but like other weird event. Okay. Uh, so funky. We'll get into that next time. Uh, yeah. you, <laughs> you can find more information at comicallypedantic.com. You can also follow us on Instagram by searching at pedanticcast. New episodes come out most Sundays on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and at comicallypedantic.com. If you have any comments or questions, you can send them in text or audio recordings at comicallypedantic at gmail.com. Please indicate if you'd like your name or question read on the air, and don't forget. We still own fuckcomicsgate.com if you'd like to send a donation to the games and online harassment hotline. We will be back with another deep dive into the world of comics, but until then, you can find more exciting adventures at your local comic shop. It's Nashville.